Hey everyone. Um, t before I start today's episode, I kind of wanted to talk about what's happening in the United States right now. And for those of you who haven't been paying attention to current news, there's a large protest movement to address the awful racial inequality against African Americans that's uh, happening in the United States and has been happening in the United States for over hundreds of years, dating back to the introduction of African Americans or Africans at the time to the United States through slavery. Um, this is something that when I came from Eastern Europe, I was a political uh, refugee of uh, genocide that was happening in my country. And when I came over 20 years ago to the United States, immediately I identified with the plight of African Americans because of the fact that it was super evident in instant I could understand that they too were being subjugated and treated poorly and unfairly based off of something that they could not control, which was the color of their skin, in the similar way that I could not control that I was born into an uh, ethnically Muslim family. So I stand behind the notion that Black Lives Matter and that this is a human rights issue. This has nothing to do with politics. This has nothing to do with your personal feelings about what a, the reason for a certain war was or any of that. To stand against the belief that Black Lives Matter is to stand against being a decent human being. So it's of my uh, own volition that I say Black Lives Matter, and I stand for that, and my products stand for that. And moving forward also, I will make a stronger effort to have more black persons of color and other minority groups on this podcast, as the RPG space is an amazing space to meet diverse groups of people and to live through and pretend and have adventures and even address some of these issues. And I feel like it's disingenuous for me to talk about that and to support that and not at least acknowledge what's happening currently. So aside from that, let's launch into the episode. to a new episode of my RPG podcast. Today's guest is Holly, or Super Luminal Art, as she's known online. Holly is a fantastic artist who's done work in the RPG space as well as for other products. She's a, a local geek who I got to meet in the Atlanta area who gets to talk to me not just about running RPGs and creating art for RPGs, but also about playing with an illness and her kind of feelings in the current environment of COVID-19 that we're in and trying to kind of rectify uh, being part of a communal game when you can't be with people very often. It's a fantastic episode and Holly and I talk a lot also about the creative process, which I'd love to talk about, especially music. She's also a fellow metalhead. Yes. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. episode of my rpg podcast today's guest is super luminal arts holly holly please introduce yourself hey 
My name is Holly, um, also known online as Yigs, or for my, my art endeavors, Superluminal Art, which sounds like I should have a really fast turnaround, but really it just means I always have my head in the clouds dreaming of things that are not physically possible. I think that's a great perspective to have for a creative. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> well, Holly's an interesting uh, semi-local um, nerd that I met who not only does an amazing art, has a introing but blossoming background in doing rpgs not to mention providing art for rpg related materials and i'm going to jump into all that in just one second however holly let's start with this yes what is your introduction okay. to rpgs any at all Wait, when was i personally introduced yeah. well, what's your intro into role-playing okay. games so um, this is going to start in sort of a weird place. You know how when children play pretend mm -hmm. and you, you just, you build this whole world out of your imagination. Well, I had one specific friend and we just never grew out of that. And it evolved into, I believe they're called paracosms where you have this whole world only it was the two of us. And it, what it was, was basically LARP, uh, but we didn't know the name for that. Or there wasn't a name for that at the time, back when we were kids and like uh, around uh, pre 2000s or we hadn't heard of it anyway. And so we've been playing on and off this LARP for, let's see, we are both, I'm 30. See, I met her when I was like seven, so 23 years. And finding that and then growing up and wanting to do more things than that, I got into a lot of RPGs, JRPGs, uh, gaming is another passion of mine. And from there, in fact, it was more recent. I had heard about D&D all my life, you know, from my mother, uh, sort of thinking it was part of the satanic panic in the 80s to coming around and thinking I was just, you know, dumb things people do with their friends, you know, murder hobos going across the lands. And, um, and I really wanted to start up doing that. And then my friend introduced me to uh, Warhammer 40k. And so I'm building minis for that, which I love the lore behind it. It's just fantastic. But really, I've been doing... D&D, uh, I go to Dragon Con every year, and I will spend the whole time after going to the panels and shopping and whatnot just over in the gaming hall, just running D&D games, playing D&D games. So my first, my first game like that was actually at Dragon Con. I went to an Adventurers League game in maybe like 20, 2016 or something like that. Yeah, that's a and great just, resource. It was Adventurers League games especially. Yes, just had an absolute blast. So much fun. And um, I've always been doing art. I would draw since I had a pencil, you know, I could hold it. And I thought tracing was just the most immoral thing one could do as a child. I don't know why I chose that hill to die on, but I did. And from that ability, freehanding just grew into something until I finally got a scholarship to uh, Savannah College of Art and Design. Um, I did have to take medical leave. So I, I either flunked out or uh, uh, took leave, either one. <laughs> And since then, I've been doing freelancing for different, for, first of all, I started doing like uh, pro bono requests on Reddit and other places of people's RPG characters, especially D&D. Um, and then I've started sort of doing that with, got hooked into doing some of the monster manuals and the DM manuals for various companies. Yes, and uh, that's a great kind of synopsis of the, the larger arc there. But I do want to draw back into kind of that intro, Holly. When you started playing RPGs for the first time, what sort of characters did you like playing or do you like to make? Oh, I've got I've got several sort of archetypes. I've always loved the mad scientist archetype, but I like to play and draw villains a lot. So that's always fun. I like pitting, you know, what is my, my puzzling and intellect against other players when I'm the DM. Um, as for when I'm doing a player character... I like a lot of odd characters that that uh, almost comic relief that tend to have deeper purposes behind them. Like some of my joke characters have been 
there was a centaur who had really high charisma. So he would just convince everybody he was a guy on a horse. He had fake pants <laughs> and became a really beloved character instead of just dying. Um, a necromancer who was increasingly agitated by his own skeleton, being able to like hear and understand. <laughs> yeah, it. yeah, yeah. That's brilliant. And like lots of silly characters like that, like a like an old warrior who's gone to fat now has to pick up his his sword again and like go travel and and just sort of odd characters. I never like being the main character. I like being sort of like these NPC characters that will sort of uh, go around. Um, other characters. My first character was Clax on Stairs, a kinku merchant, wild magic sorcerer, whose goal in life was to uh, actually become a real merchant. She she just sold uh, goods of various and, and dubious legalities, and it was a lot of like you know I love those like stupid magic items where it's like oh a ring is to detect magic that only detects itself. Things like that is like what she sold, and her dream was to go get out and get good loot that she could actually sell to um to nobles and, and make a living so that was that was a really fun first character that sounds actually like you have a, a tendency to draw towards like big concept kind of fun catchy grabby sort of things because those are all very exotic races or exotic classes or have like a, a quirk a catch to them all that, that draws you in immediately yes that's what i like to do um and then i i like to develop the personalities around them and then their fears and things i really go into characters even when i draw from their background stories and their ambitions and their fears. Like whenever I'm doing um, a commissioned work of somebody's character, I ask them, of course, for the description, but then I ask them to tell me, tell me about your character. You know, you know, write a story, write a blurb. Tell me what are their fears, what are their ambitions, why are they here, why are they adventuring? And I really nab onto that personality to bring it out in art. Yeah, that's a great kind of uh, method also when it comes to transitioning that over to your artwork as well. Do you prefer people to come with you with like already a bit of backstory or lore about their character or reference materials? Or is that something you kind of like to find as time goes on? Either way, I've had people come up to me with very, very specific ways. You know, I want this. I want this cloak like this. I want that. And then I've got other people saying, you know, here's my here's my drunken turtle pirate who rides a ship that is... Um, actually a mimic that he like sold his soul to just can you draw that and i'm like well you know <laughs> so i get to kind of come up on my own i always have fun with my clients spending time with them and helping to draw that character out of their mind in a way that i can see them and interact with them as if they were one of my characters are here with me and that's where i really get sort of the the energy behind my art and so whether somebody yeah i i tend to even if they come with like really specific things i still like to talk to them about all right let me get into the soul of this character not as what they look like but as a person and what was your initial kind of draw in that made you become an artist because this has there's somewhere there's infection vector happens where you see a piece of art or material or animated something or another that catches your eye do you remember what that was yes uh this is one for the 90s kids does anybody remember lisa frank um, I remember growing up and was devastated that Lisa Frank was a company and not just like a single person drawing things. But as a kid, uh, I loved the I loved unicorns. I loved unicorns. I loved fairies. I loved anything that had to do with flight, wings, things like that. In fact, if you look at my fashion, I always have wings or feathers on. Um, you know, if I'm not just being comfy. But I think. I started out drawing those kind of things, and I've always been an, an exceptionally creative person with uh, getting lost in my own mind, and, and um, to the point where I, my mom brought me to a counselor as a child, like, 
this kid is just not paying attention to reality. They're always late. You know, what's going on here? And I was just, they, they advise, well, she's just rather creative. And as long as it's not too psychologically damaging or, or inf interfering in real life, just encourage it. And art was the way they did that. That's a brilliant kind of outlet then that, that you had there. Um, Lisa Frank, I do remember, by the way, um, since you did ask, I do remember Lisa Frank. It was, it was up there. Uh, it was a good pull, though. There's a lot of great uh, nostalgia that came from that, the 90s, stuff like that. And I actually remember, I, 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 I'd have to look up who, who the author was, but I remember one, one of my favorite times of the year was definitely come around the Hall Halloween holidays time. Oh, yeah. Because there was a Scholastic Book Fair, and the, the books that they would show you with, obviously, the oranges and the blacks and the, the you know, the fall colors and all the skeletons and goblins and ghouls and all that stuff uh, trigger a lot of positive memories in my mind, which then I find myself writing a lot of stories about hags and bogs and oh, swamps and, you know, oh, yes. all sorts of, you know, specters with horrible deaths that they then mourn for you know lost loved ones or whatever like that so oh yes a lot of pathos yeah. i like things like that too with uh i i one of the things that's really funny is that you would think and i find this is a common misconception you know as as an artist some people are like well, you know why why aren't you my mom is always asking me why aren't you draw why are you always drawing monsters or ugly things why can't you draw you know pretty things or, or princesses or whatever and i can draw that but they're not nearly as interesting as, as the ugly, the grotesque, the broken, the, uh, the evil, and the misguided. I find creatures and, and people like that, characters like that, incredibly sympathetic and really fun to draw. And then do you see yourself ever wanting to do maybe a full-on book or a full-on uh, you know, story, novella, whatever, because of that? Or do you love kind of sticking to one-off projects or maybe multi multiple projects for different separate ideas? So I've thought about doing things like that, like webcomic or comic form. In fact, when I went to college, it was originally in sequential art um, to work in the sort of comic book and movie industry, video game industry. I, I would have switched uh, probably to storyboarding uh, had I stayed. But honestly, I'm a bit lazy. And so I tend to just jump between project to project. And there are some things where I've held on to this thing consistently throughout the years. And I know that those things, you know, I've working on several characters and they probably have accumulated enough to make a book of them. But because I'm not actually telling the story, uh, I don't think it would make any coherent sense. But I've always wanted to collaborate with someone, uh, maybe do a short comic. I just haven't jumped into it uh, for one big reason. And this is why I tend to do one-off commissions, and that's my health. Yeah, Holly, uh, that's one of the things uh, that I think a lot of people could take and learn a little bit about the the struggle and, and the kind of path that uh, certain people in the RPG and the entire kind of gaming creative arts sphere could uh, learn about. And that's uh, you do have a health condition, if you don't mind enlightening us about that. Not at all. I have a rare kidney disease called loin pain hematuria syndrome. Uh, it took me five years to get a diagnosis. Uh, I got sent to the psych ward one time because the uh, the doctors were convinced I was making it up for drugs. I had never had alcohol, went to my first AA meeting. That was uh, an adventure. But I eventually met um, my current doctor who said, you know, I think I know what you have. It's this rare disease that, um, as far as I know, I'm the only patient in Atlanta. There's at least one other one in Georgia unless they've moved. It's an incredibly painful disease and very rare, so it takes a while for diagnosis. Um, if you've ever passed a kidney stone, I passed 38, that's what it feels like all the time. It's just constant, unremitting pain. I'm on 
you know, a, a, an incredibly inappropriate amount of opioids. I've got implants to help me through the day. Anything with chronic pain is difficult. You know, some days you're fine, you can work. Other days I can't work at all because my hands are shaking too violently to be able to hold the pencil. And my work is very detail oriented. So, you know, I have people that are like, well, just, you know, put it in the work. I'm like, I can't do that. It's not, gonna, it's not, it's not how it works. No. And so, you know, that's, that's always hard. But that's one thing that the RPG community and the art community have always helped me with. I've been able to find solace in, you know, being able to do things, being helpful, being able to pretend to be out of my broken and ill body and inhabit the worlds, these other worlds that are just so interesting and vibrant and be these other characters who can do things. And, you know, they can, they can run, they can jump. I used to be a major athlete before uh, I got sick. I was figure skating, horseback riding, archery, you know, track, all of that. And I can't do anything of that now. But being able to inhabit the spaces of these characters with a community that has a good amount of disabled people that feel the same way and as is pretty accessibly friendly, you know, especially now with COVID people are understanding, you know, uh, just the difficulties that other people like me who can't get out, who have trouble mobilizing and being more welcoming to them, you know, playing online and things like that. And so that's what's really wonderful about it. And I, and I really appreciate you kind of bringing up COVID. Um, whenever you guys are listening to this episode, I don't know when this uh, crisis, I don't know when this crisis is ever going to stop or end. But basically, having gone now, you know, six, eight, ten weeks, I forget how long it's been now. Uh, time's kind of a, a blur. Uh, having been in, in, indoors now for the better part of two months now, a lot of people, especially in the RPG sphere, who've now mitigated, trying to mitigate kind of losing their games by turning into online games, are realizing that there's a great portion of our community that because of, you know, uh, health concerns, being at high risk, or of other issues, I found it hard to just play in person. So this has been their reality this entire time, uh, be because of whatever illness or impediment. So I think it's I think it's extra extra important to start thinking about this now at a time to where we can all relate because we're all kind of stranded in the same uh, situation, suffering. Not of course completely the same because we each have our different physical uh, statuses, but at least we are understanding the struggle of like if I can't physically be there or if I can't interact with the mini or roll a die, how do I still play the game I love? Or in your case, also how do I create the art I love if I can't if I don't have it in me today uh, to do you know the drawing. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I think it's great for podcasts like these. Um, you know, if I can't, if I can't game or I can't draw, I can listen to Critical Role. I can listen to Adventure Zone. I can listen to any number of uh, people doing these kinds of things and enjoying themselves. And I love that, you know, vicariously, because I'm interested in, I'm, I'm, I'm it's not beyond interest. It's I'm addicted to other people's characters and the way that they uh, perceive the world and the way that people get out of their own skin so that they can, they try, you know, a lot of times people reach really far in, you know, who they're playing and things like that. And I love seeing that. I love seeing the way people come together and think and the DM surprises and, and how they, the creative ways they get out of problems and things like that. I love how you mentioned also reaching in and creating because there's this belief in, when it comes to art that all art is an expression of the self, no matter how various and diverse. And I've found, at least in my RPG life, you know, of five years now, that uh, every time I've sat at a table with somebody, especially if I know the person really well, 
and they create a character and then bring it to the table, I can almost certainly see where in themselves that character comes from. Even despite the fact some people have played with me and created four or five, six different characters, all very desperate from, you know, tiny mage, dragonborn, uh, old crutchety men to gigantic hulking humans, <laughs> barbarians who, you know, are Conan the Bar, you know, Conan the Barbarian-esque figures. Yeah. Yet I look at the, the character and I can see absolutely where both those things reside in that person. So I, I, I need to ask, though, it feels like a leading question, uh, whether you're, <laughs> you're somebody who, who believes in the same, especially in your artwork, even when you're taking a commission. So I actually take it a step further. One of the things, and I was it's weird because I was just thinking about this the other day watching a Queen documentary. You know, how has their music reached so many people you know, all over the world and become so popular, so many different people relating to this you know, one band? And I was thinking about that with art, and, and music is art. I think that good art requires empathy. And empathy is something that I guess, I mean, maybe not everyone feels, but it's something about the self reconnecting and connecting with others, the self being more than just oneself. Empathy is connecting with other people. It's different than sympathy or just feeling sorry for somebody where sympathy says, I see that you're suffering and I, and I feel bad for you and I'm going to comfort you. Empathy is I'm feeling that with you. And I believe a good artist can look into the eyes of other people or their characters or whatever it is they're trying to create. And they can convey these emotions that come between them and whether it's them in the world, whether it's them and another person, whether it's them and feelings, they spread that empathy through their art. That's why a lot of people, um, you know, they'll see something. And I, I like the term death of the artist. You know, sometimes you can have mostly I see this deployed in today's world in when an artist it just does something horrible. They make great art, but all of a sudden they're a white supremacist or, or something like that. And you hear, well, you know, death of the artist, you know, forget them, their work is still good. And I think that that can be taken a step further for a lot of people where you're looking at an artwork and it means something directly to you. Now, it may not be what the artist intended, or it may be exactly what they intended, but you connect your emotions with the art and therefore with the artist. And between the two of you, there's a conversation even if you, you know, maybe a spiritual one, I don't really know how to put it, but between you and the art and you and the artist, where you are both maybe looking and creating the same thing, but it means different things to each person. And you're experiencing empathy and being able to connect with this art. And so that's what I think about when, when I think about art being made, is empathy. And there's a beautiful sort of... Um... I, I I don't know what the word to, to use it here as as I, I'm not like a visual artist. I've I played in bands and I create D and D world. So I guess that's technically that's really that's cool. the contribution that is creation. Well, it, no, it is creation. Absolutely, I know I know I'm an artist in, in those regards. But the th the thing for me, the reaction I had is when you can somehow look at a group of people if you're in a band or you know if you're at the the, the table and talk about something and then see everyone's eyes connecting with this abstract thought or this feeling and and then produce it or or tell somebody that like it's kind of like X and then they immediately are able to bring that forth to light despite the fact that yeah, their eyes light up and they get excited yeah and, yeah, and, and they right. and they if it's you know if it's playing in a band is they play the right note or the right chord that it was in your head but you couldn't express it through words and then 
then they produce it and bring it forth. Or when you're at the RPG table, like you guys have this thought of like what this feeling is or what the scenario is and what's going on. And then somebody says it or they acts upon it. And then everybody at the table has this beautiful sort of section to where we're all bought in, despite the fact that we're, you know, originally at a table now over the internet, you know, and kind of looking at each other, but we believe in this world, we buy into this world. And then when comes the artist, which I've had multiple uh, characters and scenarios being uh, commissioned in my games because of, you know, anniversaries and stuff like that. What comes then the artist is this person who takes what is in obviously the player character's mind and my mind and then the other people's mind of what this character is. Then they bring it out. And then once the finished product is produced, we all have this moment of like, oh, God, that was kind of what I was envisioning or like, oh, actually, that's not. But now that I look at this, it actually fits more with what uh, what this character should be opposed to my initial thoughts. I hope so. That's always what we engender to do, I think. I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but that's what I engender to do. I engender to take what's in somebody's mind, whether or not they know exactly what all's there. Because I often, in the process of having them describe to their character to me and talking to them about it, um, they discover things that they didn't maybe didn't know or didn't think about, but I can see their eyes light up and then they think a moment and then they instantly come out with sort of this unguarded version of what they would do there. And that's those moments are what I take and I, I take and I weave them together into an artwork. And so I think things like that are, are very important. Uh, with music, I cannot carry a tune in a bucket. <laughs> I am 100% tone deaf. I took that test from the Harvard, Harvard yes, Music College. Yes, yes. Uh, I know that test. Yep. I'm tone deaf, completely tone deaf, really bad. Um, I love singing. I love music. I do not understand how how it works, how you're able to take what's in your mind and, and put it out there. I can, I can only do it when I'm on like the knife's edge between waking and sleeping. And then somehow I can pull it out. But when I'm awake, I can't do anything like that. And to me, it's amazing. It must be like art for other people, visual art, if you can't do it. Well, as somebody who's taught guitar uh, and music to people, uh, my answer to that naturally, because as, as a teacher, I kind of have to step in and be like, no, 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 you too can do it. The physical thing, oh, yeah. the physical thing everybody else has. Um, I always used to tell this to my students. You guys can't see me visually, so I'm going to try to explain it to you all now. If you don't think ever, oh, I can't play guitar, I don't have it uh, physically in me, just let your left hand uh, hang limp for a second and just move your fingers about randomly and then just strum. Okay. Uh, basically, just let your right hand hang limp, limp out in front of you, then flop it over. That's where your fingers would put together a plictrum if you're using a, a, a pick. Otherwise, you're using your fingers and you just do that same sort of wiggle your fingers. You have the exact same capabilities that it takes for me to do it. The only difference is I've practiced way more than you have. So that's exactly the right. answer to like how do people bring it from head into hands is probably going to be the same thing as an artist is I've played this note so many times or I've played this technique so many times that when I hear something go in my head, I go, oh, no, no, no. I know what that is. That's a C and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And it comes down to practice. I'm not one of those people that's just like, oh, talent is all you need or anything like that. Like I've, I recently posted something I, I drew when I was like younger versus something I drew recently. And it's just, it's just practice. Anybody can learn to do these different things because there's all sorts of different types of art, just like there's all sorts of different types of music. And there's, uh, I think there's also space for all these types, regardless of whether it's a genre. I mean, when we absolutely when, when we do talk about art there's a spectrum of art you know there's digital art there's art that's surrealist there's arts that's you know more impressionist there's art that's uh completely postmodern and you're like it's just a, a red cube on a black background but it's titled you know the fall of rome or something like that so yeah yeah exactly 
the good art makes you think about it, whether you're like, that's stupid or that's great or that's ugly. It makes you think. Exactly. And I think that's, that's at the end of the day, we're trying to invoke thought and an emotion. I mean, ultimately, um, what I think, and I know, I know we're getting very heady to my listeners here. We're not talking about RPG <laughs> mechanics or, or systems. Sorry. No, no, I, I'm, I'm not apologizing as an all. This is kind of where I want to be sometimes, but I, but I gotta remind myself, I'm not talking about like a life podcast. I'm talking about an RPG podcast. That's true. But That's true. But I will say this. If, if you're a dungeon master, game master or something, um, all we do, this is my my my, my kind of call to our players a, a little behind the screen here. All we're trying to do is evoke an emotion and make you feel something. So whether it's making you hate the villain or uh, love and want to sacrifice yourself for the innocent, cute, you know, NPC who's, you know, been kidnapped or just come into a world and be like, oh, well, this is a horrible regime who has terrible policies. And in real life, I know that these things exist and there's a parallel here and I feel powerless in this fake world. I feel the power now and this makes me feel like I can do something like all these things that we try are just to evoke that feeling, evoke that emotion that we can live through together in a, in a safe space, obviously, because the thing I've talked about multiple times on this podcast, and I've had many guests talk about this as well, is the importance of the safety of your table or your virtual table that you play at. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Talia, I feel like you, you got something you want to add on there. Oh, I'm oh, sorry. Um, I just tend to agree randomly. Uh, <laughs> but as a DM, we want you to care. We want you to come into this world and be so invested in the lives of these characters and the lives of the world that you begin to care about them. One of my, I've got two of my absolute favorite times DMing. One was when uh, it, the death of an NPC character that my friends that I was playing with just loved. A couple started crying and just, just bawling. And I said, oh no, do we need to stop? I'm so sorry. And then they start smiling and saying, no, 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 I'm not crying. My character, I'm having emotions. No, please continue. I got to know what happens. Those kind of moments when we can get you like so, um, so involved, so, uh, psych I'm not sure what the word I'm looking at here. So, so inhabited within that world that you start feeling emotions for those characters and, and, you start feeling empathy for them and you start feeling lots of things and you get so into it that sometimes you forget the mechanics of the game. And, and I had one big bad that was so psychologically intimidating toward this party that they never found out the secret was that this character was incredibly physically weak. They were just too scared to attack her. They were too frightened. And so she lived a lot longer than uh, she had any right to. And it eventually ended up being the, well, who was like a side sub uh, bad guy into like the big bad in game and i love it when things like that happen with your players true i think there's something to be said about tying into the greater thing about creating and, and making art and stuff like that something from nothing right this collective mm -hmm. experience that we share which evokes real emotions despite the fact that these are made up you know fantasy or sci-fi or whatever genre you're playing in scenarios um, the, the yeah. magic of that is really, really special. I remember a uh, quick tangent here, which is semi-related. I remember watching a panel of like very famous comedians like Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Rock and all that sitting around together on some uh, HBO special where they're talking about their craft, right? And these are people who have consistently, you know, made people laugh for, you know, 
decades, if you, uh, you know, maybe over a hundred years, if you combine all their uh, careers together. And then one of them brings up the thing, uh, a worry one time that he goes like, do you ever think like this will all end when people realize they can make each other laugh and they don't have to pay a lot of money to see us? And, and <laughs> what was funny is because you know, I, I think it was Jerry Seinfeld who goes like, no, it's not the same thing. We're a different level. Like we make them, you know, think deeper or harder, stuff like that. But I always thought about that moment as one of the, the most honest things anybody could have said, even when they're in a position of being a very famous comedian. I, actually, I know who it was. It was Ricky Gervais who said that because I thought because I thought about that and I was like, wait a minute. One of the greatest things to have happened to me in my life was opening up about my nerddoms and passions and starting to play RPGs because it gave me a group of people that I could hang out with and in, induce joy or laughter or sadness or a feeling of community consistently for every week for five you know years and sometimes now i have three games that i run so i do it with three groups of people two 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 and two and a half times a week depending on which week it is and i didn't need to take a drug for that or i didn't need to you know consume alcohol or see spend money or go, go see a movie or go anywhere i just did that between us all and that's the magic of the scenario so tying that back into rpgs you are able to do that without having to buy a video game or go on a, a, VR, a vr experience or whatever it is you just do that with each other everybody has imagination and creativity within them a lot of people feel that they don't or it gets beaten out through work or schooling or what else but everybody has this this is sort of a dnd's kind of a communal art you all build this world together you know the dm you know, while some players think of them as, you know, like you're, you're the god, you're creating everything. No, you're just, I can tell you, as a DM, half the time, I am just sort of taking what you give me and I'm just fashioning it into something uh, for you guys. I'm, I'm mirroring it back at you. Um, I kind of make it up as I go along sometimes. The, the player characters are active in creating and making this world come to life. And I think that that's really great. A lot of people, you know, I'm not going to go much into it, but with technology and the fast paced modern life and all that you've all heard about, um, and then the millennial generation being kind of screwed and things like that, you know, people are lonely. They're looking for meaning. They're looking for things that they can do. And I think there's a lot of meaning in RPGs. You know, a lot of people, maybe older people dismiss it as this is, you know, this kind of silly, this is unproductive, but I don't think it is, you know, and for a lot of people, it can even be therapy. It's actually one of the things I did talk about with a previous guest of ours, Michael J. Gibson. Uh, for those of you who want to listen to that episode, we talked about using RPGs as therapy and, again, like providing a safe space to where you can play through scenarios, to where outcomes can be different or you can control stuff or you can at least analyze how the position, you know, what, what the position uh, made you feel and things like that without having to actually induce whatever the trauma or stress is that um, triggered that scenario. So, yeah, there, there's definitely a wide gamut of things we can get from our RPGs and we can enjoy out of it. Um, I know you also mentioned Critical Role, which, I mean, it's, it's almost impossible to talk about RPGs and the RPG renaissance uh, that's been happening in the past four or five, six years without mentioning Critical Role. So I'm assuming you're a big critter as well, right? Yes, I am. Uh, I actually just kind of got into it, believe it or not. I was a very latecomer. Uh, the beginning of last year... I think beginning of last year, where my friend introduced me, and I was like, oh, all of these childhood voice actors from the anime we used to watch. Wow, okay. It's a huge weeb growing up. Uh, and oh, I just I just really like it. I haven't actually done any fan art for it, though, which is weird I, I, now that I'm thinking about I've it. I've seen your art, and for those of you who want to see Holly's art, she'll obviously plug, and I'll have it in the description of the podcast so you guys want links to her art. Uh, it's fantastic, and I think you can do some amazing things with... Uh, wait, have you finished uh, campaign one or are you still on that? 
Um, I haven't actually listened to campaign one. I just started with two because my friend wanted somebody to talk about. Okay, excellent, excellent. Well, I, I, <laughs> so, I just didn't want to start saying characters and possibly spoil. Yeah, don't. So yeah, don't spoil. Well, then I'll just use established characters from the first episode. Like I think you could make a fantastic, you know, Caleb or a fantastic Molly Mock or you know Bo or what, whatever character you choose to depict uh, with your art style. Wait, I got confused. No, I have, I have not quite finished it, but yes, no, Molly Mock is one of my favorite characters. Yeah, and I think yeah, you would you, you with your your sensibilities and your art skill, I think you could definitely do some really fun stuff with that, or any of the other characters, like I mentioned, Caleb and Bo, uh, oh, and yeah. all, all all them, Beauregard yeah. and all of them, yeah. So uh, the reason I kind yeah, of bring sure. up critical roles because I also wanted to talk about like the perception of RPGs changing because you mentioned your parents having the satanic scare and thinking of this as a, a, a negative, a means to, you know, hooliganism slash, you know, occult worship. And then along comes Critical Role in the past, you know, half decade. And it's the antithesis of that. It's very, you know, attractive Hollywood types, of course, right? So very attractive men and women who are very proficient at storytelling and acting and things like that, showing off how brilliant and, and open the system can be. However, on the same token, I've heard people who have a frustration with that because of the fact they are beautiful Hollywood types who are amazing voice actors and actresses who uh, do great voices and we are not. Uh, and so I just wanted to know, what, first off, th does that change your perspective because of the quality of the product? And secondly, does it somehow influence the way you run your games? So uh, for me, absolutely not. So it's kind of funny. My mother uh, was... You know, normal my, my family's republican and she got like really into like evangelical fundamental christianity in the 80s to the point where like she didn't know who queen was until um i introduced her and i just had one of those personalities where i was like very skeptical science-based i would have been a doctor had i not been an artist um and uh <laughs> i'm the sort of one that introduced her i was like you know that game my friend and i play where we're just running around and like screaming at each other with like sticks that's literally this other thing D D. it's like that you just do it with dice instead of sticks and she was like oh yeah i don't know why i was worried about this as far as me and seeing um these hollywood types come together and play at you know beautiful people with great voice acting skills and skills like that i'm one of the first type of people that say the more the merrier you know the more people that this reaches, it opens up an avenue of creativity and an avenue of something that you may not even have known you needed in your life or wanted until you know about it. Because the thing is, is I do not care if you are like a squamous Lovecraftian creature with uh, guttural screams coming to my D&D game to play. All I care about is that we have fun together. You know, I do lots of different accents and I'm very uh vibrant and 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 noisy like i say when i'm going to karaoke i'm not good i'm just entertaining and i i will get up and and you know make noises and act and things like that and some people don't want to do that and that's fine and but i think like me just the way i am i'm just like a normal average person there's nothing special here but me being getting up you know and and being willing to do these kinds of things as just a normal person and just com look completely silly, but I'm having a blast and it draws other people in. You know, I, I don't care if other people are, you know, super attractive or whatever. If, they, if they're bringing more recognition to something that we all love, the more the merrier with hobbies. 
I think your phrase of saying I'm not good, I'm entertaining in regards to your singing skill is also how I can describe my accents and my my my, 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 my acting uh, abilities to my games. Uh, so <laughs> I, I tell my guys all the time, I'm not good with any of these accents, but I'm going to certainly try. I have no sense of shame, so it, it works for me. I just, <laughs> if it's something that looks fun and it sounds like I'm going to go do it and a lot of people are like, what is this? What is she doing? I'm, I'm embarrassed for you. And I'm like, nah, I ain't. Just let me have fun, man. <laughs> I wanted to ask this. Um, most people I find, because uh, you mentioned kind of getting your uh, earliest kind of touches of the D&D and the RPG tabletop stuff via uh, conventions and stuff like that. Uh, mm -hmm. How do you build, whether you're a player or a GM, DM, your table? Because uh, I'm really interested to see how much of playing with somebody at a table can either turn them into a friend or if you can play with people at a table who aren't necessarily your friends. I absolutely do that. I, um, I'm a very outgoing person or I can be when I wish to be as, I mean, technically, I guess I'm an introvert. I, I gain energy from being inside by myself, but I can be, you know, sort of hostess life at the party. I will, if anybody, I, I'm the sort of person that will sit with random people at bars and make friends. Um, so if I have a campaign I want to try out or something I want to do, I just announce to either my friends or if I'm at Dragon Con, you can volunteer to run or, or whatever and um, to run a run like Adventurers League or, or in the games hall, you can just invite random people. You know, I'll just be talking to somebody. Well, you like D&D? Well, I've never tried it. You want to come try it? Come on. And usually I get a positive response. I, I just... I just sort of find people and I find that they're, you can be friends with anybody, um, you know, barring their, unless they have just really awful attitudes or things like that. And even then, usually you can find out bad attitudes, hate, sexism, you know, homophobia, that kind of stuff comes from a place of pain. So oftentimes you can even get them help. But I found that it's very easy for me to set up a table with anybody and that anybody who wants to play will become fast friends with you if you're open to it. I feel like I'm batting a thousand when it comes to this, where I talk to GMs and DMs and we all agree that as soon as you kind of become a GM or a DM, you become a missionary uh, of, the yes! uh, of the house of the RPG <laughs> to where anybody, anybody, anywhere at any time with an inkling of interest in role-playing games, fantasy, sci-fi, whatever, who hasn't played before, you hear that and you're like, oh, really? First hit's free. You want to join yeah, us? Come on, I'll run a game yeah. for you. I guess. <laughs> what, what type of characters are you like? Huh, what do you want to be? You want to be a giant cat person? Let's go. <laughs> We're like the worst drug dealers of the RPG world. It's very true. Well, what's funny is we're the, we're, we're the drug dealers who like get him hooked, but but then we have to do all the work because it's, it's one thing to tell it's one <laughs> thing to tell a person like, hey, here, take this drug, and now like all you have to do is just like give them the thing and let them do it on their own. It's another thing to be like, oh, you're into this thing. Oh shit, now I got to create a three hour game for you every week or every <laughs> two weeks, and like, wow, I just gave myself more work to do. Great, I know. And sometimes you look in the mirror and you're like, "Why did I do that? Why did I invite you? I'm already running three of these. I don't need a fourth. But you just can't help it when when it's infectious and enthusiastic. And if you're like me, you always have like a ton of new ideas that are in stock from either a book you read or or watching TV and turning into this uh, amalgamation or just coming up with things as you're walking around. You're like, "Well, you know what? I could try that." And I've got to I've got to find some unsuspecting victims to try this out on. Yeah, absolutely. And, there, and I, I do also have like that same urge, like like I was when I was you know in a band and I'd come up with a riff or an idea and have to record it on my phone or like find a means to like 
write it down so I don't forget it. I'm the same way when it comes to inspiration for my games. Uh, I have a document that I keep adding to all all the time with inspiring quotes or pictures or maps or just any, any, any anything that will later be a trigger to remember why. Oh, yeah, I wanted to try something like this or like, oh, here's a weird cipher from, you know, World War II that I want to involve into a puzzle or something like that. Like the, 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 that document is so long. It's so many pages of just ra- sometimes random just quotations of things that I really like. Yeah, I found one that I've not ever been able to use, but it's a series of, uh, oh, I just forgot the word I'm trying to say. Uh, where it's the same word backwards and forwards. I just not anagram. Pal- palindrome. I just palindrome. Thank you. I found a series of French palindromes that if you put them in a mirror, it says something else backwards. And I have yet to work this into. And then the two phrases mean different things. So the answer is actually you've got to put it, the French, in onto a mirror, and then read back what it says and translate it. But I haven't been able to figure out how to work that in anywhere without it being like just so incredibly obtuse. But I find things like that all the time that are just you're like, oh, I want to try this. This will be good. And I like uh, I'm known for being a little bit psychologically wicked with my with my players. They always they always have to expect tricks from me. I think that's perfect, though, because that's something that regardless of whether it's you know going to hit as hard as you want it to for your players, it's something that you find value in and of itself for creating it. And I'm very mm-hmm. akin to that. Um, when I wrote in the in, in a very like technical progressive metal band, uh, f- instrumental band too. Oh, very nice. Yeah, well, it was inst- symphonic metal is my favorite. Oh genre. well, not, we're not too we're yeah, not too desperate. Big- we have we have some sort of influences there. We love keyboards and orchestra hits. So uh, yeah, it's okay. But but one of the things awesome. similar to that experience was you know I learned about what a mirror fugue was. And it's what it sounds like. A fugue is a type of music, uh, a, a particular type of piece of music. And a mirror fugue means you have that music playing, but the other sheet is that music mirrored. So it's music playing playing at the same time against each other in opposite directions, right? So the last bar of the first, you know, the last bar of the very top of the page in reverse is playing while the first note of the first bar play correctly is playing. So I took that idea and I would write, I'd write parts with that and do things with that. And I'd listen back to it and like, we'd record it and I'd be like, why didn't I just play the same thing twice? Why did I have to do this like crazy little, like <laughs> look at my musicianship? I have, to, but it's so good. But that's, that's, that's why I did it though. That's actually hitting on my point about like the process was the, the gift. The process was worth it. That, you know, when we get to the end result, it's almost irrelevant because I was like, hey, I wrote a, you know, section of a song to where there's two contrasting ideas, but realistically, they're just the mirrors of each other. And then somehow they make sense. Like that's the, the challenge that you you, you you enjoy. And that's why a lot of these times when I come up with a clever pun, like my, I, I, I live in the JK, I live in the JK <laughs> Rowling times. school. Okay. I live also in the JK Rowling school of naming <laughs> characters. So my guys picked up, my guys and gals picked up a long time ago that er, almost every name has a, a, a reference or joke or illusion or a hint of foreshadowing to it. So uh, every time you come up with a silly, stupid name, sometimes they don't get it because, you know, it's a weird Romanian musician that, you know, played, you know, an accordion that I, that I love, you know, a piece of, and they'll never get it. But to me, it's extra funny and hilarious and I'm going to make it so. Well, it's super fun to put things like that in the campaign. You're like, nobody, maybe no one will ever stumble upon this or ever figure it out, but like, you just feel so smart for doing it. And that's part of the fun is stretching your own mind as well. You learn from your players, they learn from you. I know I'm like a, a huge bookworm. I read anything and everything, have since I was a kid. 
And so I'm always picking out things from my favorite books. And sometimes they can be rather obscure and slap that in there. I think the, uh, it, it, I, I, I want to go back to the thing you said about tracing. I'm going to be honest. I think the, the fact that as a, so many of us DMs do take the idea of taking somebody else's ideas and then just like shifting them up a little bit is kind of the RPG equivalent of tracing over and just kind of doing your own. Well, Cause, I don't think so. Oh, really? Because have you ever heard the phrase, all art is derivative? Like nobody is born in this bubble yes. where they've never seen any other art. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's like that with DM. Like there are some times where I feel like I've, I, a lot of times I like to work in ideas that I've seen from different places. And I used to feel really bad about that. Like, well, like, why can't I come up with something on my own? But the way that I weld them together, it's like taking threads of, of many different colors. You didn't make the threads of the colors, but you weave them into your own set of wings. And you've created something beautiful and amazing. And, you know, your players love it, mind you. Sometimes they figure out the references, sometimes they don't. But it's in the presentation of it and the fact that they get to interact with it that makes it so wonderful. So in a way, it is, it is, it can be kind of derivative, but it's something new in the way you put it all together, unless you just rip wholesale and then, then I don't know what to tell you. But, you know, if you look at my art, you'll see, you'll see a lot of... Uh, um, influences there's a lot of Klimt, there's a lot of uh alphonse Christoph, there's a lot of um there's some anime in there there's like western rpg there's a lot of like uh jojo's bizarre adventure like there's a whole bunch of random references that came into something and made it different yep and made it new and I, I agree with that. I, I feel that way about music and i feel that way as well i think there's an interesting thing also because the community the RPG community is all the time wanting people to rip or take or be inspired by their things because you don't see this in music or I, I know sometimes this happens in comedy where things will be like, Oh, I can't do this joke, but here, try this joke. Somebody will write for someone else. But it's so funny in the RPG community to where people are openly willingly like, Oh yeah, I got this great uh, trap thing. Just, just take it. Tell me what you think. Or like, Oh, this is adventure I run or here's this NPC I really like, or here's this plot. Because all the time when I talk to my DM and GM friends and we ask each other how your games are going, sometimes one of us will harp, you know, and wax poetic about like, oh, this thing's not working out or, oh, I wanted again to go do this or, oh, I... My edgelord character. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Or whatever, yeah. So, <laughs> and, and as a DM, GM, we instinctively want to help out because that's just kind of part of who we are. We're people who want to make sure everybody else is having fun first. So we'll immediately be like, here's an arc, uh, an arc you can run them through. Here's an idea or a scenario or a interesting you know dilemma that you can put them through or a trick you can use on 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 the whim without worrying about all of a sudden whether we'll get the credit for it or we'll look really really good and be you know appreciated uh, by their players absolutely i remember reading um i guess in a forward or backward or, or whatever introduction with uh neil gaiman's sandman and he said in there he wrote like oh i have all these ideas and I can't use them all. And he named off a few. Like there was one that was like a street that was paved with time. He's like, feel free to use these, anybody. And I read that and I was like, yeah, that's really cool. You know, because I am too. I'm like that. I have so many ideas. I can't use them all. You know, sometimes I know that I have a cool idea, but I myself am not going to be able to bring it to fruition in a way if that's going to work out very well. So you just offer it up to the community and you end up having this fabulous collaborative work. Uh, between all kinds of people maybe you don't even meet. And, and if it gives somebody else a good idea, hey, go for it. And you know, it's funny now that I'll actually uh, 
bring this up because you did mention being such an anime and a weeb fan as well. Uh, I kind yes. <laughs> I've had this art talk very often, and this art talk has been referenced in Naruto from two members of the Akatsuki, Deidara and Sasori. Uh, I don't know if you know this. Uh, uh, Holly, do you know this uh, thing I'm about to say? I'm not as super familiar with Naruto. I read a lot of manga, and um, let's see. I never did Naruto and I never did Bleach, and I'm going to get crucified for no, that. No, you're, probably, you're totally fine. You're totally those. fine. It might, it might be because <laughs> of my age and whatnot. But there was this great uh, kind of debate between two uh, powerful members of this organization to where one believed that art was an explosion. It's a spontaneous moment of creati- creativity that lives and dies. And it's, it's in the moment. You're either there, you observe it, or you don't. And the other believe that art is a thing that's eternal and it's to be admired throughout the time. You need to create something that sustains and is always viewable. So your art should be something that's solid and concrete. Um, I wanted to know your kind of thoughts in that regard, because I, I know when I had this debate with my musical friends, it came down to like, how much do we create music that is a reference to the time that we're living in and the bands that we're influenced by? Because then when you do as such, you obviously sound like, oh, well, this obviously person was into 90s music. So that's why this sounds like this and it'll be dated. Or how much uh, do we have to try to create something that doesn't sound like anybody else so it can feel like it stands out and is, is, is you know, separate from a movement or a place in time? So I just wanted to know how you feel that way about your art. Well, I suppose I'm going to have to go within the middle because why can't it be both? Throughout all of human history, all of civilization is a collaborative work. You know, somebody out there, people in, you know, there was a development from uh, just singing and, you know, maybe clapping, pounding to musical instruments, to orchestral music all the way through. And even when we don't remember some of those individual tunes that some guy, you know, sat on his orchid and played on his fiddle, you know, it meant something to the people around him and that enters the stream of consciousness. I think that there can be there there can be power between explosive works you know that that disappear like uh some of the some of like banksy and other things where they literally create artwork and it disappears over time um art that's meant to decay that's that kind of explosive thing um you know bands that play kind of riff and they do something special they they come out and they just say oh we're just going to play something for you we're just going to we're just going to riff and that's something that we all hear and we take a piece of that with us and maybe go on to create other things. So even if that art is just an explosion, the people that who saw that explosion, who experienced it, will take it with them. And so in a way, art that explodes is eternal. But and but art that is eternal, well, I don't know if anything can be. It's uh, it loses. It either ascends to a mythic status or it loses its. It, it we forget about it over time. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't always there and still underpending what we do today. You know, I I don't know how much the uh how much like musicians and artists of the 1700s you know are are present in my work today but they are there just like in music you know you're playing a violin that somebody discovered and and made a long time ago or your guitar you know electricity and science we're all part of it it's a collaborative human work even if we're doing it by ourselves that doesn't mean it wasn't birthed by other works uh, you probably see my my socialist views coming through a little bit there, but I think that's that's about how I feel. I will add that I, th- I think yeah, absolutely, there can be a spectrum. You can live in the middle. Uh, I think the world is not black and white, though uh, we have the options to paint things black and white if we think it adds flavor to mm-hmm. it or makes it interesting. But yeah, there's a little bit of both, and I think it's kind of funny listening to you talk that you kind of had a moment of recognizing both uh, have their flaws and 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 are. Uh, are are incompatible with being one true way, just kind of sections to a spectrum that you can kind of follow. 
Yeah, I think it fits with my, I'm, I'm in the gray for most things, you know, nothing is inherently evil, nothing is inherently good, it's neutral, it's how we use it, you know, you can think of many things in science like that, you know, medicine, you know, you can, you can have your medicine be a poison or, or medicine, you know, uh, we literally cut people to heal them in surgery, but you can also use those same techniques to prolong torture, it's, it's neutral. It's what you do with it, the intention behind it that matters. You know, even truly evil people love dogs. You know, that's not a bad trait. There's, there's, I think anything, it's really conducive to have a black and white attitude about anything, if you can help it, because reality just, it doesn't work that way. Is that something that you find using, uh, you find yourself using in your games as well? Do you like a kind of morally gray? Um, oh, absolutely. I, I, I was going to say like absolutely. A, a lot of people, a lot of people <laughs> reference, you know, morally gray, like Witcher or Last of Us or sort of games like that when, when talking about like. Oh, the Bloody Baron had a big impact on me. Oh, great. Playing Witcher, that. Witcher fan. Played through nice. That. Excellent. Yes, yes. I, I, I could talk, I could talk <laughs> awesome. forever about Witcher because yes, as anybody so who knows I. my game knows, I have the entire continent as as as, you know a little behind the screen people here i know i'm the interviewer but i'll talk about myself for a split second um of of the five continents that exist in my world i've kind of created a theme for each of them to be modeled after and one is you know fairy tales and fables and heroes and dragons and princesses and towers and stuff like that another is renaissance and it's the merging of cultures and it's new ideas and a hidden potential of this explosion during peace and then my favorite world though my every one of my players hates this world is the dreary dark medieval morally gray um you know you know dark ages <laughs> midi you know medieval section where it's very witcher influenced too because of my eastern european background so i have to have you know slavic influences in there and things have to be horrible yeah. and nothing ever ends right even when you make all the quote unquote good choices everybody hates that place because it's a dreary and dark star trek yeah yeah it's it- star trek the card quote you know you can do everything right and still lose i i love that yeah so so i i, I loved witcher for that regard and that's kind of my my world where my witcher influences live I mean, it's called Cairnshire. Cairnshire is that world. And also all of my players hate Cairnshire and never want to go there because <laughs> Cairnshire is just dark and dreary and no fun and a miserable place. It's like that quote from <laughs> no Monty Python. <laughs> but yes. I love that. But yeah, so you like the, the I, gray and the, you know, in, in, in uncertain terms, right, wrong answer to a situation. Yes. I like to kind of start out everything with what seems like black and white choices and but those choices can end up going into surprising places um later on in the campaign so you you're always like my my more experienced players are are knowing to sort of look at like okay but wait a minute if we save this person what could happen down the line you know maybe maybe we shouldn't and then other people like what do you mean that there's no consequence for it just just save them like no 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 but what if no what if you never know where uh, I had one, one game where, uh, well, I suppose the person who's in it, they won't know what I'm talking about. Okay, I didn't want to spoil, but uh, where somebody that they saved and cared a whole lot about, um, to the point where like they almost got a tattoo of this character, ends up being one of the the big bad in games because of some misunderstandings particularly from what happened when the good character or who thought she was doing good saved him so 
Yes, I, I, don't, I don't want to reveal too much to your players, obviously, if they listen to this podcast. But th- those are always fun things to where you have you have more information than the people around you. And you're trying, you know, not obviously to give away the goose because you want to have this great reveal or whatever coming towards the end. But, uh, yeah, you, when you get to watch things out with the knowledge of what's to come, it's, it's really, really fun indeed. However, if I can bleed devil's advocate for a second, because I, I do I do love to do this. Um, does that create uh, – Tully, does that sometimes create a scenario in your mind to where you're, you're like, I'm introducing too much of the real world in an escapist game at the end of the day, right? Because some will, some will make the point that, like, I don't want to have to deal with racial strife, slavery, oppressive governments, whatever it is you're introducing, you know, uh, sexual assault, maybe narratives or things like that, because that's my real world or that's the world I live around. And I come in here to, like, defeat the Empire and be the good guy Jedi, right? Right. Um, I think that these are these games that I play like that. They're with people I've known for a while. So I kind of have learned about them and their tolerance rate. And it's the sort of thing, you know, where I'll check in, you know, is this okay before? It's people I know that are ready to sort of move on from just being the good guy. They've gotten tired of that and they want some more meaty, complex scenarios. Um, I'm somebody that is, uh, I don't want to say like super active in like social justice or things like that, but, but politically, I, you know, I'm going out to the protest tonight in Atlanta, things like that. And sometimes those things really, I can't help but sort of put them in there, even if they're uh, disguised. However, with first games or things like that, I, I don't usually throw that kind of thing in. Um, I like, the other thing that I really like is mysteries on top of mysteries and reveals. So a lot of times I'll go more that way than just ambiguous. It's, it's like, oh, you found this and, and uh, you've, you've defeated these goblins, but wait, what is that that you found? And it's pieces of a larger puzzle that they're put to, to put together to solve. So it's not much as the morality as it is the, wait, you know, what is, there's something, there's a conspiracy, there's something bigger here, um, which scratches that same itch for me. So I tend to do one for people I don't know as well, and the other for players who are kind of asking for that or who want a more mature sort of game. So it really depends on the people. And uh, I assume there's a curated sort of section to where maybe you have a session zero or give a pre yes. pre yeah okay pre game where you kind of tell people hey what sort of game do you want to play or hey I like to play these types of games are you comfortable with that? Absolutely, it's really just with close friends who I've played multiple games with. Um, unless somebody comes around asking that, and then I you know kind of say you know here's this kind of scenario. But with me, um, I'm pretty attentive to any sort of distress my players and they can always come and talk to me about things like that. Like, I don't like where this is going. Can we change that? And I'd be like, yeah, that's fine. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, I, it sounds like it's still a fun game nonetheless, because you're usually doing this with people who you've been with a long time, which is very important. I think in any game, people, communication is key. I know it's an RPG game, so obviously all you're doing is communicating aside from rolling die. But I cannot <laughs> say this enough and repetition, uh, repetition is important. So repeat something. So communication is super, super key in all of your games and you should definitely have that. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. That's the only reason you can play these kind of games because nobody wants a game where you show up to. I've heard so many horror stories of DMs where they're like, well, her dare, no, your character gets raped. And you're like, what the, what? How is this at all? Like, no, nobody wants games like that. Games are meant to be fun, you know, for everybody. Having complex emotions within games is okay as long as the person is still behind the character, is still having fun. You know, those moments where maybe your, your characters are angry or they're crying and you, is, you stop out and you say, okay, well, you know, me is you know, Holly, not the DM, are you okay? And they're like, no, 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 keep going. You know, that's my character or things like that. And you can, you can kind of, you, you know, get to know a little bit of psychology when people are starting to acting disengaged and things like that. You take them aside, you, you all right. 
uh, but communication is key. My games tend to be, I tend to go more RP, RP heavy. So that is one thing um, rather than just mechanics heavy. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've had actually a fantastic chat. We're almost at the end of our time here. Holly, if people want to find you on the internet, see your art or follow with you, what's the best means? Um, let's see. I have a Reddit called Unexpected Wings. Um, let's see. I, I just made an Instagram like recently. I'm not even sure there's anything on it yet. Uh, but I do have a Twitter. It is. I'm trying to remember. I'm not great. Uh, at Superluminal Art, and it's called the Art of Superluminal. Um, I've got, I've got um, different things on there. You can also email me at superluminalart at gmail dot com. Um, because um, I've got a lot of commissions that are, uh, I can't share publicly, but I can share like versions of them with you if you're asking about some things. But I think I think the Twitter and the um, the Reddit have most of the things on there. I really need to get more organized with uh, social media. It's it's a million things and avenues that you have to kind of fester and work with and then manage all these channels. I completely understand that frustration. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you guys are interested in this podcast, obviously this is my RPG podcast. If you'd like to find me on my personal Twitter, it's classy underscore Don. That's D-O-A. You can send an email to myrpgpodcast at gmail.com for questions, concerns, or if you want to be on the show, please rate and uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and all the places you can find podcasts. We exist there. And aside from that, uh, thank you for listening, and I will see you at the table. <laughs>